As one of America's largest financial services companies, Nationwide makes simplicity a priority so financial professionals can help their clients achieve their retirement goals. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen, along with Jonathan Farrell and Lisa Abramowitz. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg Terminal. Inflation is still hot, and so it becomes a question of do we believe that the Fed is going to stay firm in its resolve to fight those price pressures instead of reacting to weak data? The equity market telling you in the last couple of days there will be weakness in their resolve. Will there, though? Is this a Volcker-esque Powell or not? Joining us now to try and answer some of that is Vince Reinhardt, chief economist at Dreyfus & Mellon. Vince, let's start here. This market believes we're seeing the first steps potentially towards a Fed pivot. Do you agree? Uh, not particularly. Uh, central to this is the view that there'll be this immaculate disinflation. Yes, the news might have been, been a touch worse than expected this morning, but we believe the Fed inflation will have over the next year and that will allow them to pivot. Inflation just doesn't come down that way. So, Vince, which is it? Is the economy doing really well uh, or is it not? In other words, I'm trying to parse out the equity move. Some people are accusing me of just being bearish no matter what, which maybe you can you know, accuse me of whatever you want. But if the economy is weakening, we have a Fed that is willing to potentially curtail that. If they continue with their rate hikes, do you think that they are going to cause a recession by design, as Jay Powell seemed to be sort of not suggesting but hinting that there was a risk? Uh, if you believe, Jay Powell, that inflation is the, the number one concern of the Federal Reserve now, they've elevated that in the dual mandate. Uh, they, he woke up this morning, inflation is a problem. Inflation is still a problem. Uh, therefore, he's got a slow aggregate demand and hope that aggregate supply fills in. The way you slow aggregate demand is tighten financial conditions. Uh, we don't have slow enough aggregate demand yet. It doesn't seem to be slowing enough in train. And we got mixed evidence that aggregate supply is filling in. So he needs tighter financial conditions. What data is the uh, Federal Reserve going to be looking at in their data dependency? Uh, I think the answer is always all of it. Uh, that in particular, he, he brought back his stars uh, in his press conference over on Wednesday, uh, i.e. the Fed looks has basically a set central guideposts, but they are only estimated, they're approximated. And a big one is inflation and inflation expectations. That's why you and your viewers should be looking forward to the University of Michigan survey. Uh, that's why uh, they care about what's happening in bond markets right now, because that tells them what inflation compensation is. Uh, 
right now, inflation's job number one. So everything that goes into the space to predict inflation is what's important. Commodity prices, inflation expectations, exchange value of the dollar. Where do you think inflation realistically can get down to by the end of the year, Vince? What's the figure? Uh, not as much as the Fed hopes and much less in, in 2023. Uh, I think that uh, we'll get a, a modest uptick in the unemployment rate. Demand really is going to be slowing and inflation is going to be off a, uh, off a percentage point and a half or even two talking about the uh, PCE index. So we're in, in, in the high fives. The Fed is forecast is not outlandish for 2022. It's going to be more persistent next year because we have so much inertia. We saw it this morning with, with that, uh, the ECI. Uh, the ECI wasn't as much looking forward to future inflation. It was trying to catch up to past erosion to, to purchasing power. Okay, so given all of that, stickier, higher inflation than the Fed realistically wants it to be, that would indicate that the Fed is not going to be able to blink even if the data deteriorates. And yet that is fully what this market expects. And Vince, you said a moment ago they need financial conditions to tighten. That's not what they've gotten in recent days. How aggressive do you expect the pushback to be over the coming weeks? I think they're going to have to push back. To be honest, I was a little disappointed in Chair Powell on Wednesday. He was... He seemed to be accepting of where markets were right then, right, right then and there. Uh, he said, essentially, the summary of economic projections it, uh, is still appropriate, both in terms of their forecast for the policy rate and uh, the macro outcomes. Too optimistic on inflation. Essentially, right now, markets believe the ends to what the Fed wants, lower inflation. They don't quite have it right about what the means will be. The means will be tighter financial conditions. Uh, if you tightened 75 basis points and financial conditions are easier, something went wrong and you're going to have to push back. Vincent, just quickly here, from your perspective, how much would inflation have to come down for the Fed to truly pivot? Uh, I think at that point uh, is, is going to be important about the other part of the dual mandate. Where is the unemployment rate? If inflation has come down a lot, it probably means the unemployment rate is, is going up. As inflation gets closer to their goal, they can put more weight to their other goal, maximum employment. Unemployment rate starts rising, they will pivot. In our forecast, we think the, pit, the Fed declares victory a little earlier. Remember, Paul Volcker did, too. Uh, If inflation is notably lower in 2023, i.e. still in the threes, but maybe not at goal, uh, the Fed will connect dots that says it was lower now than it was six months ago, than six months before that. We're headed in the right direction. Now's the time to worry about activity. However, you don't get the slowing of activity. You don't get that decline in inflation unless you get tighter financial conditions now. Vince Reinhardt, Dreyfus and Madam Vince, a clinic from US Always. Thank you, sir. 
A lot of people have been talking about complacency, and thank you, John. Honestly, we're still seeing that rally continue, and we're still seeing a lot of short positions come out, and we are poised for the biggest rally going back to November 2020 in the S&P. Some people who last year were talking about how there was a faulty call in transitory were included uh, among them Barbara Ann Bernard. She came out, and she was saying this is not the case. It's stickier. It's more protracted. You need to plan as such. She is founder. She is chief executive officer and chief investment officer of Windcrest Capital joining us right now from the Bahamas. Barbara Ann, can you just talk about what you make of this rally that we've seen so far in July, which might be the biggest going back to November of 2020? Thanks for the opportunity, Lisa. Yeah, I think this is a bear market rally for sure. And it's based on hope, not on free cash flow, not on the free cash flow of the consumer and not on the free cash flow of the corporate. When you have what we're looking at is negative real wage growth, which is why we have the lowest consumer confidence in 40 years. And what businesses are facing is the highest PPI rates in 45 years, which is why small business confidence is at an all-time low. So these businesses are facing very little visibility over demand for their goods and the cost to produce them, which is not a healthy situation. And meanwhile, the market is rallying on, like we said, hope, not free cash flow. So I I'm, I don't think it's sustainable, unfortunately. Barbara, and let's go to the phrase that John Farrow hates the most, which is bad news is good news, which is what Jonathan Golub was talking about in his note today. That that's what it's become, that the more people start to talk pessimistically the way that you do, they talk about possibly some sort of pivot from the Fed. Why is this not the right way to look at it, since it has been the right way to look at it for the past few decades? Well, let's just break that down. Is bad news ever really good news? What you're talking about is the Fed will not raise rates. So we're talking about multiple expansion, not EPS expansion. And a healthy economy is based on EPS expansion. So, yes, you don't want to fight the Fed, but we also want a healthy economy, don't we? Well, in theory, Barbara, and yeah, I would assume so. But on the subject of the Fed and how they would likely view what we have seen in the equity market, a rally, financial conditions getting easier and not tighter. At what point will they have to push back on this? Well, I feel like they induce this rally. <laughs> it was the most confusing. I, I, either I was on the, the wrong call or I, I <laughs> misunderstood the market. But what I heard was there's no more guidance because we're tired of being wrong. And, number, and then number one, our goal is to bring down inflation for a soft landing. But number two, we understand that's challenging and it's got more challenging in the recent months. None of that's positive to me. And then I think the real error was calling two and a quarter to two and a half a neutral rate. In my economics textbooks, that's not the case, particularly not when inflation's at 9%. So that is very stimulative and accommodative. And that's what's fueling um, you know, it, it, these forces that at the same time he's trying to squash. So he also said the dot plot is the best indicator. Well, what does the dot plot say? that we have 100 basis points of more increases this year and 50 next year. So rates are still rising and we have consumer and business confidence falling. We've never raised rates into falling confidence. And the other really interesting experiment is we've never raised rates when the US Fed debt to GDP ratios are so high. So if we do induce a recession, the real risk out there is now you have lower tax receipts and higher interest expense, which is also not a pretty picture. So I'm, this is not easy. And I think as an active manager, what you want to do is really stay nimble and humble because we're now yeah. told we're going to focus on data, which is going to be much more volatile. 
Well, and of course, Chairman Powell has said they need to be humble as well. As you're doing that, as you're being nimble and humble, what does that mean you want to buy? In the environment you're describing, which, as you say, we've never been in before, in theory, higher rates mean you don't necessarily want to be owning growth. And yet, if the economy is slowing, maybe you want that cash flow. So what do you do? It's a great question. So we actually are net short and we have a mountain of cash to buy great opportunities when we see them. We don't think we're there yet. Um, We have initiated two long new long positions all year. And so the barrier to entry to get into our fund right now is so high. So what is an attractive opportunity to look at? We're talking about companies that are trading for the cash on their balance sheet when we're getting the operating business for free. So that kind of upside downside skew is the margin of safety I'm willing to take. Otherwise, we've been generating tremendous alpha on the short side. I think we have 36, actually I know we have 37 individual short positions. And this is a real stock picker's market. You would be very happy if you were long Amazon and not Walmart this week, right? That's a stock picker's choice. So being tethered to an index that I think is further downside is where I see the real risk. Barbara, and do you see a lot more potholes like the ones that we have seen in specific names? And I'm thinking of some of the darlings of uh, the pandemic era. Do you see more of that coming or is this just an ongoing bleed that the short positions will capture? No, absolutely. I mean, Lisa, if you think about this in a rising rate environment, it's crushing a whole cohort of companies whose business model was built on free money. And so all of that speculative has to drain the swamp. And so you're looking at companies that are over levered, you know, are counting on free money um, and, and, and they're, they're really going to be in trouble. So we haven't seen the zombies uh, fully deflate yet. And then you're also looking at companies in the pandemic era that took on a ton of debt. You know, you just look at someone like Carnival Cruises, who just did a billion dollar equity raise and still has six times net debt to EBITDA. And if you go by what Royal Caribbean said this week, demand's not there. That is a problem. So, no, the shorts are very, very company specific. It's not it's, it's more company specific than a macro view. But this is a real source of alpha generation in a market like this. This final point is so important, not just Walmart versus Amazon, but Alphabet versus Facebook as well. Barbara Ann, fantastic to catch up with you. Barbara Ann Bernard there of Wincrest Capital. Nobody ever says make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Joining us now is Salita Marcelli, Chief Investment Officer for the Americas at UBS Global Wealth Management. Salita, let's start here. I want your view on the following. Is this something you want to chase or something you want to fade? I don't think this is not something I want to chase. Look, I think uh, the market is uh, have seen earnings that are not as bad as feared. 
and perceived Fed to be dovish because they're data dependent and data is coming a little bit softer. But I don't think Fed is pivoting here. I don't think the market is pivoting. There's a long way to go. Uh, at least in the short term, it's going to be much more choppy. I think we're going to see some of these gains uh, taken out in the market. So I wouldn't necessarily be chasing it at this point. However, um, if you put your long-term investor lenses on, then it is still a great time to invest. There's still a lot of opportunity, just that the next uh, six months, I think, is going to be uh, quite volatile. After the earnings season is over, Salita, what are you looking at for the catalyst for the declines that you're talking about? Well, first of all, um, in, in this earnings season, we heard a lot of talk of recession, but we haven't seen any indication in the results. Right? We are, we're not seeing broad-based um, layoffs. There's maybe slowing of hiring, um, and, and consumers are still resilient, even though we heard that you know, low-income households may be seeing some pressures from Walmart, from AT&T. Uh, it, it's still consumers are resilient. Visa told, told us that uh, credit card spending has been very strong. Um, we're seeing still travel leisure, um, you know, seeing a lot of great demand. So I think what we would be looking at is, first of all, uh, what is happening on the um, hiring or, 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 or employment side. And in any case, that's what Fed is looking at as well, right? More than anything else, wage growth is important. And if they can see that the vacancies are coming down and that takes some of the pressure of the wage growth, that would give us a sense that they maybe they will be able to pivot. But if the you know, if we see otherwise, then, um, you know, it probably means that um, the consumer spend, real consumer spending that has been flat so far will probably turn negative uh, and there's going to be a higher probability of a recession coming towards the end of this year. Well, Salita, we were catching up with Barbara Ann Bernard of Wincrest Capital in the previous hour, and she agrees that the market got this Fed entire Fed conversation wrong, that the pivot isn't necessarily coming, that it wasn't as dovish as the market perce perceived. And she said for that reason, given the environment she's looking at, she is sitting on a mountain of cash. Is it right to be sitting on a mountain of cash right now? Um, I don't believe so. I mean, you, you, as an investor or as, as our clients, private wealth clients, you should have enough cash, uh, you know, to get you through the next six months and liquidity for the next uh, two to three, three years for expenses. But beyond that, I think there is the, the benefits of staying on the sidelines, staying in cash is limited, but the opportunity cost of uh, being out of the market for the long term is much, much bigger. Um, you know, I, I think we did so many analysis on this uh, in our team. Um, you know, if, 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 if you wait for historically going back to 1960s, if you wait for another 10% downside and then get in and then sell at the brand new highs, you're most likely to underperform uh, 80 times versus a buy and hold strategy. So I would say this is, like I said before, for a long-term investor, is still a great time to invest because we have below uh, average valuations in the equity market. We have seen almost 25% derating compared to the last 12 months, um, right? And uh, when you look back since 1960, that is sort of consistent with return expectations of about 7 to 9% annual for the next decade. You have bond yields that are um, close to highest since 2018. And before that, the highest was 2008. So, um, you know, starting point in buying is actually a good indication of your total returns. Uh, and then you have in alternatives, even in the private equity space, right? You might see for existing funds, valuation downgrades in the near term. Um, but data tells us that funds that are launched um, 
a, a year after the peak or after significant sell-off in the, in the um, public markets tend to have superior returns over the long term. So I think staying in cash is not the best strategy if you have long-term horizon. Salita, I've got 20 seconds. I'll give you a five-year buy and hold. You've got to pick one thing. What would it be? As boring it may sound, it's a well-diversified portfolio. Of I think it that's is. still I, the only, only free launch. Why did I ask? Salita, thank you. Salita Marcelli there of UBS Global Wealth Management. Joining us now is Isaac Boltanski, Policy Research Director at BTIG. Isaac, this feels like lose-lose. I know you think it feels like lose-lose. Which loss is she going to take? It feels incredibly difficult for her to pull back at this stage. My sense is that she's going to have to go to Taiwan. I think that the optics would be absolutely atrocious if she skips out on it now, and it would be a terrible signal given given our relations with Taiwan. So Isaac, how does President Biden deal with this? And what does this do to his agenda when he's focused on this and he spent two hours and 20 minutes speaking about that with Xi Jinping rather than everything else at a time when he's losing support rapidly? Yeah, look, I think that from a practical perspective, whether she goes or not, I'm not sure if there's much impact for the market. But I'll tell you this, most of my contacts in D.C. now believe that we're not going to have a massive pullback on the China tariffs. There's a sense that we will have some targeted and narrow um, relaxation of certain tariffs with a real focus on the consumer side. But beyond that, we're not going to have the sweeping pullback on the tariffs that some had hoped. There was some chatter not that long ago that we would relax all of the tariffs on Chinese goods. That's just not happening. I think as we see geopolitical tensions um, continue to mount with China over Taiwan and over other issues, um, the most that we're going to see are these targeted, narrow set of tariff relaxations focused on consumer goods and other inputs. Which raises a question, Isaac, of how this administration is going to continue putting pressure on bringing inflation down, aside from just pointing the finger at the Fed. And they do talk about the recent uh, legislation that they're lining up that Joe Manchin did get on board with. Do you think that that actually could, in the near term, do anything to reduce inflation? Simple answer is no. Uh, I don't think that this bill, even though it's called the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022, is really going to do all that much for inflation. There's definitely some components of it that we can point to that are going to have an impact over time, right? The, the drug pricing dynamics can have an impact, but a lot of that is backloaded into uh, a longer period. I think that the minimum tax can have some impact over time, but again, that's limited, right? It's only companies over a billion dollars in income. Um, so there are definitely certain elements that we're going to see Democrats point to and say, look, we're actually trying to tackle inflation. But in reality, it's going to have a marginal impact at most. Well, and that's if it gets over the finish line. Where do you put the odds of Kirsten Cinema giving it a thumbs up and it actually becoming a reality? So there are three S's that we're all trying to figure out, right? It's cinema, it's the salt crew, and it's sickness. Right. Let's just run through each one of them quickly. Sickness. We don't know which senator is going to get covid next. Right. And that's something that matters when you need literally every single vote to get it through on the salt crew. We've got to watch Senator Menendez and Congressman Gottheimer, both from New Jersey, to see if they're going to blow up this whole deal over the fact that the salt cap has not been lifted or eliminated in this proposal. And then it's all eyes on Senator Sinema. And at the moment, I think that she's going to be a yes. Most of my contacts believe that she will get to yes. And that's exceedingly difficult to see her blowing up this deal over things like 
the carried interest treatment, which is something that has mattered to her in the past. And so I'm telling clients that we have to now expect this bill to become law. Um, I, I think the odds are, are a little bit better than three and four that, that this bill becomes law by the end of the year. Cinema salt sickness. I'm not sure it's got a ring to it, but I'll go with it. Can I throw in an extra S? Secrecy. Isaac, we didn't know about this. I found that pretty interesting. I just wonder what else we don't know. How did they get this one through? Schumer, Manchin, without anybody knowing down in Washington, D.C., that this was going on? John, I've taken great comfort in the fact that no one in D.C. can keep a secret. That has given me uh, comfort on numerous issues. And so it's a little bit scary that two U.S. senators were actually able to keep a secret for this long. And my view on this is that it's, it's pretty extraordinary in these times in general. But we've got to now think about the next iterative dynamic. And to me, that's going to be political retribution from Republicans. And, you know, we've got to go back and realize that the same day that they passed the Chips Plus bill out of the Senate, Manchin announced this deal with Schumer. And Republicans feel as though they were hoodwinked because they passed Chips Plus through the Senate on an understanding that we would not have a reconciliation bill. And so there's going to be some degree of political retribution from Republicans over the next few months, which could make funding the government a little bit more difficult. It could make getting an end of year tax agreement for extenders and retirement changes a little bit more difficult. We're going to have to wait to see, but that's what I'm hearing so far from Republicans. What's retribution look like when the game's almost up? Midterms are just around the corner, Isaac. Isn't that why they made this play at this time? Exactly right. And so, look, we, I think, can have some degree of comfort in the fact that the midterms are largely baked, at least for the House. Highly likely that the House is going to flip. The Senate will wait and see. And I do think that Republicans probably have some good attack points that are going to come from this mansion deal, saying that you're raising taxes in a time of, of economic slowdown. So I think that the Senate dynamics are perhaps a little bit more in play. My two cents on this is that the lame duck session is where things go to get done. That's usually where we see big bills and small provisions all come together and and uh, pass because no one wants to be in D.C. during that period, right? They smell the jet fumes and want to get out of town. And so my point here is that some of the things that Congress has waited for um, until the lame duck can get more complicated now that there is this dynamic of political retribution. Isaac, awesome to catch up. Isaac Boltanski there of BTIG. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Thanks for listening. Join us live weekdays from 7 to 10 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio and on Bloomberg Television each day from 6 to 9 a.m. for insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. And subscribe to the Surveillance Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on The Terminal. I'm Tom Keen, and this is Bloomberg. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. 
More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.